Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. He'll get you the sports any way that he can. It's Mike Francis on the fan. Sports Radio 66. All right, so on this Wednesday evening, uh, it's a hello and a goodbye. Uh, We first finally will say goodbye to uh, Eli Manning. Uh, We said goodbye to him on the field this year. Uh, This was the right move. It's the move that I hope to see for Eli Manning. And now there's no more... You know, anguish. There's no more losing. There's no more terrible end of the career. There's no more, you know, woeful days, you know, with an inept team that went on. Uh, there's no more bad coaching and bad decision making. There's no more any of that. Now it's about the entire career. Now it's about just taking your place. Uh, among the uh, people who have graced the Giants uh, through the years. Um, And that is how now Eli will be viewed as he goes into the history books. Um, Obviously, he would have liked to rewrite the end of this career. Uh, So would the Giants. So would Tom Coughlin. Um, Like I said many times, if you could go back and sit down with the Giants... After they won the second Super Bowl, which they didn't expect to win, okay? After they win the second Super Bowl and they are walking on air. And I remember telling Archie at the time, Eli is now golden forever after the second one. And you know what? wasn't true because the losing got to such an extreme that it actually wore the fan base out. The fan base would have allowed him a year of losing or two years of losing. They were not expecting the prolific losing, the excruciating losing that came first to Tom and then to Eli, even after Tom left, and Eli withstood two guys who were just bad coaches and a front office that was clueless and an ownership that lost its way. So he, w- he found himself in a very strong organization that he, through his father and the people who run the Manning family, orchestrated. We know at the time of that draft Eli orchestrated a move to the you know basically to the Giants he he wanted to come to the Giants he did not want to play in San Diego he wanted to play for the Giants his father wanted him with the Giants uh and obviously we see know how it turned out uh he always said to me 
Peyton wasn't made for New York, but Eli was. And he was right about that. He knew his kids. He always said Eli was made for New York. He said Eli let anything roll off his back. And Eli, his whole career, did let everything roll off his back. And he had to let at the end a lot roll off his back. But he handled that stuff with a coolness other under pressure. And the thing that I will always remember about Eli was Eli was at his best when things were most chaotic, when there was the most pressure, when there was so much to be won, so much to be gained, and so much pressure on everybody out there. I mean, walking into Dallas and being down 14-3 in a playoff game, going into San Francisco and playing a team that was, I mean, nasty on defense, and in, in one of the most punishing games that I ever saw, he stood in there and led that team to victory. Or going into Green Bay on a frigid day where they figured, hey, nobody plays against us in this weather, and watching him play pitch and catch with a receiver that they dared to single cover the entire game. And he sat there and played pitch and catch. And outplayed one of the great cold water, cold weather quarterbacks. So I mean, it happened time and time again, and it happened in the biggest spots. And then it happened twice, once to stop a train that people thought was unstoppable against the Pats. And both times, when you think about it, and this. As the years go on, people will, and people, I, I, I think, have not given this enough attention. This team, his teams, not only beat the Pats twice, they came from behind in the fourth quarter both times to beat the favorite Patriots, once to beat the unbeatable team. Never forget Junior Seau waving at, waving at, flag, waving at towel. One more stand, one more stop, one more stop. Wasn't to be. And he made plays and brilliant throws and brilliant plays in those games in the fourth quarter and then set himself up with something that only a handful of guys had done. There's five players who are, two, who are two-time Super Bowl-winning MVP quarterbacks in this league. Two. There's five of them that have won two or more. Brady and Montana, of course. Bradshaw and Starr, the others. That's it. Five guys. Start listing the quarterbacks who haven't done it. His brother hasn't done it. Dan Marino hasn't done it. John Elway hasn't done it. Troy Aikman hasn't done it. Brett Favre hasn't done it. Five who are two-time Super Bowl MVP winning quarterbacks in the history of the league in 53 years of Super Bowls. Five guys. One of them's Eli. Maybe that bothers some people, but it's a fact. And I've said this many times. Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning changed the face of the NFL, and they changed the history of the NFL because the Pats and Brady and Belichick were headed to a place that nobody could have ever touched them if they didn't lose the two games to the Giants. And we know they got handed a couple of Super Bowls that were puzzling, all right, what Seattle did on the goal line, what the Falcons did. They should have lost both those games. I understand that. But 
The Eagles beat them, but twice before that, the Giants stopped them. And they stopped the undefeated team, which crushed them. Which crushed them. They wanted that so much. And he stood in the way of that. And he was the reason, that in the past rush, he was the reason why it didn't happen. And to take your team and go look at his numbers in the fourth quarter of those games, they're impeccable, and so are the throws that he made. This was a guy who, st- who came up big when there were big things to be won. Was he a great player day in and day out? No. He was a good, solid quarterback day in and day out. He was a great quarterback when the greatness was needed. I understand you want more playoff appearances. Okay. You can't tell me you wanted more Super Bowls because you know what? There aren't a lot of guys who have those. There's a whole lot of players. Aaron Rodgers, for all his greatness, has won one Super Bowl. Drew Brees has a truckload of records he can plow into Canton. He's won one Super Bowl. One Super Bowl. Brett Favre won one Super Bowl. Was a three-time, won the MVP three years in a row. He won one Super Bowl. Dan Marino never won any. Neither did Dan Fouts. And we can go down the list of the old guys who didn't. So when you think about that and you think about the fact that the Pats led those games in the fourth quarter of both games, he had to, he had to take his team into the huddle and look across at the Pats, and they were losing in the fourth quarter, and they came back and took the lead in the fourth quarter and won the game. And that's special. And those are special wins. And he takes those, and those are his, as is all the durability and all the TD passes and all the yardage and all the things that he brought to the job and the class and the dignity that he brought to the position for 16 years. That's what should be remembered on Friday. He's earned all that. All that other stuff now, it slowly dissolves. Yeah, it's part of his history. I understand that. It wasn't pretty here the last couple of years. We know that. And he lost his job in the last year, which I'm sure wasn't pretty and wasn't easy for him to take, but he took it and handled it the same way he handled everything else, with a grace and with a dignity and with a team-first approach. And you know what? If you don't see now how rare that team-first approach is and, and also know how rare it is to have somebody who can rise to the occasion and win championships. Well, you know what? Look around at all the teams around here that don't win championships. Then realize how special those two are in 16 years. So we say goodbye to uh, someone I know very well in Eli Manning, and we say hello to someone I do not know in uh, Luis Rojas, who is going to be the Met manager. Uh, the fact that he's replacing another choice means nothing. Uh, his background is a positive from a standpoint of he's in a, from a baseball family, which I'm sure offers him some perspective. He is a half-brother of Moses Alou. He is a son of Philippe Alou, who had a lot of kids. Felipe Lou was a very classy baseball player who, as you know, played for the Yankees a long time ago for a couple of years. 
I was very impressed with Felipe Alou when he played here. He was a really classy player. One of the fame, the Lou brothers, if you remember the Lou brothers from the Giants, Matty and Philippe and Jesus. Um, the Alou brothers all coming up with the Giants, all outfielders. Uh, Felipe was the best player of the group. Matty hit, had a lot of good years with the big bat and you know punching the ball over the shortstop's head and hitting 340, but uh, Felipe was the classiest player of the bunch, especially had some good, game, some good years with the Braves. And Felipe went on to be a longtime manager, and as I mentioned to you that uh, Pedro Martinez has credited Felipe Alou with being the guy who really made his career because he turned him into a starting pitcher when everyone else didn't want to. Um, Rosas paid his dues. The one issue I would have, I, I, I know the things I've heard about him, but I do not know him. I've never spoken to him. I know you've heard some players already chime in that they like him. And they, some of them have dealt with him. A key in that room will be, because it's a, it's a team that is in need of leadership right now because it's a team that's on the brink of winning if it's handled right. Uh, a key there will be two things. Number one, you want to have Robbie Cano on your side because Robbie Cano has an incredible amount of influence in that room. And number two, you have to make sure you have some kind of working deal with Cespedes because Cespedes can be an issue if you if now he's going to be less of an issue this year because he no longer is the guy who makes the team go, but he can be an issue. But I think Cano is the key because Cano is really the guy who I think, from what I noticed about that team, is clearly Cano has an enormous leadership role with that team. Uh. The issue I would have with him is the Mets have put him in a very tough spot. It's a team that needs strong handling in a town that is not easy to deal with and in a situation where there's a lot to deal with. It's, a lo- it's going to be a lot for somebody to step in and handle at a very late date, very quickly, ha- inheriting a staff I doubt there's going to be wholesale changes on the staff. So inheriting a staff and inheriting a position a couple of weeks before pitches and catches, not an easy way to get your first job. Not the way you want to get your first job. If a team was ever set up that it was in need of a firm hand and a veteran manager, this was the team. Considering all the circumstances, the way they unfolded and everything else. But... You know that is not what the Mets wanted. That is not what Brody wants. Brody wants to be able to have he and his people walk in and suggest, hey, here's what lineup we like tonight, or here's what we think about tonight's game, and not have the manager say, you know what? I'm going out on the field. Leave me alone. They don't want that. They don't want a guy that is going to say, you know what? I make the lineup. I handle the team. You do what you do. I'll do what I do. They want to be involved. They want, as they call it, collaborative. No, they don't. They want a guy who's going to listen to them. Let's be honest. They want one of these managers now who, in accepting the job, is going to be willing to have a lineup that they suggest for your review before the game you know, when you sit down that day, the printout will be on the, at your desk at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for tonight's game. And here's what we think the lineup should be tonight. 
Well, some managers are going to say, you know what? Don't even bother sending that tomorrow. They don't want that. They want collaborative. They want to be able to walk in and have those discussions and have their analytical people be able to walk in and make this suggestion or that suggestion or this suggestion and not have not have the feeling that I should never have opened my mouth. They want to feel that that is accepted, not only accepted, welcomed. That's what they're looking for. That's what they found by giving a guy like this an opportunity now. Is he ready? When is anybody ready to become a manager? When is anybody ready to become a head coach? We don't know what's rubbed off on Rojas. We don't know how his father's rubbed off on him. We don't know how his experiences are rubbed off on him. We don't know how his baseball experiences are rubbed off on him. We're going to find out. We're going to see how he handles discipline. We're going to see how he handles pressure. We're going to see how he handles a losing streak, how he handles the media. He's got what I understand to be fairly strong or, or even strong communicative skills. That's fine. But he has been put in a tough spot where there's a lot to deal with in a very short amount of time and a lot of ground to cover. So my point is, A, any time when the Yankees brought in Boone, when the Mets brought in Beltran, when somebody brought in Cora, the first time anybody gave any manager his first job, there was the idea that we'll see. You just don't know which one's going to be good and which one's not. No one ever said, oh, this guy, this is it. This, this guy can't miss. That person doesn't exist. There's no perfect background that makes you the can't-miss manager. I remember when they gave the job, the Dodgers job to Walter Austin, everyone said, oh, man, he won't last a year. Walter Austin, Walter Austin, yeah. He lasted, what, 25 straight one-year contracts? So you don't know. He may grow into become a great skipper. You don't know that. But what you can say reasonably is this is a team that needs very firm handling right now. This is a team that needs to really build and really change some things like the bullpen, make some very hard decisions like Cespedes, what the outfield configuration will be, how much you play Cano. Um, I'm sure Alonzo and McNeil will be very easy guys for him to handle. He's got a pitching staff that's delicate. He's got a bullpen that needs an incredible makeover. He's got a closer who had a nightmare and he's got a former star who's no longer the man who wants to have a big year so there's a lot there this is not going to be an easy job for him but can I sit here and say he's absolutely the wrong choice there's no right or wrong choice clearly 
let's be honest, they were not hiring an accomplished manager. We know that. Brody is right now got the keys, and he is not hiring an accomplished manager. He wants input into what's going on here while he's in charge. And we'll wait to see in the years to come if he stays in charge. There's going to be a new owner in place within a reasonable amount of time. We'll see what impact, and he's going to bring some impact. There's no question. When you're, the, when you're a guy who has accomplished what he's accomplished, you don't do it by not flipping over some things. So there's going to be some changes when that happens if there's no success in the early steps. We'll see what this early step takes them. So do I think a unproven first-time manager was the right fix for this moment? I do not. But I never thought for a second that they were going to hire a veteran manager, not for a second. So I knew it was going to be a guy who had not managed before. So with that being the case, it doesn't matter which one is the right one. The right one is the guy who got the job. We'll see if he's the right one. Does this mean that this guy is automatically going to be a better manager than Mickey Callaway? We don't know that. We have no way of knowing. We're going to find out together. It all comes down to the same thing. It comes down to putting the pieces in the right place, having the right tools to work with, hoping that the front office gives you a complete team and then putting the pieces together and getting them all to work together. And this is a team that's going to be in need of strong handling, especially in that bullpen, where there are so many questions to answer. So we'll see. Again, do I think, again, would I have hired? I, I, I would say this. We knew they were going to hire him. We knew they were going to go this route. This makes it harder, not easier. There's more of a chance this guy will be unsuccessful than a veteran manager would be. If you gave Joe Girardi this team, would I think he had a better chance to do well right off the bat? Yes, I would. If you gave this team to Buck Showalter, would I think he had a better chance to do well right off the bat? Yes, I would. That doesn't mean they'd be the perfect fit long term. What I'm telling you is that they would do better in year one. There's going to be some learning curves here. There's going to be some things that a manager has to go through for the first time. And we'll see. Now, again, a lot of people didn't like the Belchon hire for the same reason. He brought a different set of problems to the, to the experience. But he still was going to be a first-time manager. So we'll see. We'll all learn and watch together. To me, I take it from just watching them from day one. Let's see what happens. No preconceived notions about what his performance will be. We'll find out. But he did walk into, I hope with eyes open, what will be a very, very tough job. This is not going to be an easy job this year with this team. Well, if everything that's happened and with the things that have to go right and with expectations where they are, this is not an easy spot for a first-year manager. Now, we'll see if he's up to the challenge. So we say goodbye 
to someone who did exactly what you would hope he did. The day the Giants drafted Eli Manning, you hoped he would do what he did. Lead you twice to the top of the sport. Give you moments that you will never forget. That's what you hope you always get from the new guy, whether it's your new quarterback or your new manager. Now we'll see as we say goodbye to him and a new face shows up on the horizon. Now we'll see what he brings to the city. He should be as lucky and as fortunate and as successful as the guy who's going out on Friday. We'll see you tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.